Greetings, ladies and mentalgents, and welcome to the latest chapter of Ars Magica, taken from the subreddit HFY. All the relevant links are down below, and please like, comment, and subscribe like any good minion of the algorithm would do. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 69 Credden winced a little as the knife came down. Its edge glinted in the light before burying itself deep. Sorry, uh, did I manage to cut you? Credence shook his head as the dwem's words as he opened his eyes, viewing the hastily put-together table before him. Looking behind him, he yearned to get back into the safety of his Audi, but it had been cordoned off by more things that followed the dwem's words. No, uh, it just didn't expect the speed. Thanks for the sweets, by the way, Credence explained, reaching for the plate with the cut slice of biscuit lying upon it before sitting down at the chair that the tree ant had managed to grab for him and Kojo. He gazed at the multi-limbed thing as it stood there, flexing its mandibles. He shuddered a little, but before pushing his gaze over to the meadow that the Dwem had led them towards. Here, flowers seemed to bloom like it was under the fairy's influence, and little houses dotted the tree line, seeming to have been grown from the very trees that they had laid upon. The houses themselves were bare-boned, ultimately having a single doorway and an opening where the window could be placed inside. If there was any glass within this place, from what little he could see through one of these openings, all that laid within those buildings was just a single bed and a cabinet. His gaze swept away from the buildings to catch the Dwem nodding to his words. Well, uh, it's all I could do since you found your way down here. The first floor is always the most hectic and dangerous here. The little bat folk screeched, its voice old and hindered. Indeed, now the credence could gaze deeper. He could see that the fur along its back and arms had slightly turned grey, and the wrinkles that he could not see earlier dotted the thing's joints haphazardly. Well, um, I have to say this is much worse than I thought it'd be. Credence looked towards the sitting Kojo, lapping from his teacup. In Kojo's opinion, the concoction almost made him sick merely by touching it. However, something inside of him kept urging him to continue drinking it. No one noticed a very familiar leaf suddenly growing upon his tail. Is there a problem? The Dwem's words pulled Kojo's attention away from his cup. I don't think so. It's just that I can't help but keep drinking it. The Dwem chuckled a little before belting out an exclamation. Ah! Well, that's the power of a good beverage. His words, while cheerful, didn't help life up Credence's mood. He was still somewhat confused about their entire situation itself. From what conclusion he had managed to come to, they had found themselves inside of a dungeon. Still... That did not explain their sudden appearance and the simple power that this one bat held over him and his given ward. It also didn't explain the one key thing that Credence took from the first sentences that he'd said to them before getting them outside of the Audi. So I guess I should probably ask. The Dwem's eyebrows rose away from the platters of cake, biscuits, pastries and jams that lay upon a somewhat large table to look at Credence. Hmm, he questioned audibly. What was the inspection that you were talking about if it wasn't combat? A shimmer of something passed through the Dwem's eyes as he registered the cobalt's words before he started to rub his wings in his hands, turning slightly apprehensive. 
or appearing slightly bashful. Oh, um, I probably gave the wrong kind of impression. Well, uh, it is more of a mental thing than, than a physical one. Uh, hence the tea and the conversation. The bat chuckled a little bit at the end of the sentence before sipping on his cup. However, Credence wasn't finished in his questioning. He could not. Well, um, could you tell us what the test is? I imagine if we fail it, you could just have the village, uh, hive of tree ants get rid of us. Credence gestured towards the forest behind me, where briefly the giant ants stopped to talk at him before going back to their business. Uh, don't worry, it's nothing too bad. Besides, I don't think that I can mention anything regarding it. How disrupt the results, you see? The bat waved off the wave of wing, treating the whole thing. Uh, I understand. How did all of this get down here, by the way? Well, uh, I sometimes go out and get foodstuffs from the markets. I'm a bit of a hoarder, so I just managed to buy a lot at once that I think I might need. Uh, I'm kind of glad that I'm using it now, to be honest. This icing was sure to go stale. At that, he brought his knife upon the pastry, coating it entirely in what white coating that looked to have some bits of cinnamon within it. Nonetheless, this period of revelry for the bat was interposed with an inordinate amount of silence. It was something that, while the bat had found comfortable, the guests that he had here did not find it all the same level of comfort. Thus, the quiet became too much for one of them as they placed a paw upon the table. Can, um, can we speak freely w w without reservation? Kojo's question, while tentative, was forceful enough that it grasped the bat's attention away from the role that he'd been enjoying. Of course, it's perfectly fine if you want to stay silent as well. Tea and good company is hard to come by down here, and I'd find just as much enjoyment. The bat's assurance gave Kojo a bit of reprieve. He had been a little wary, considering that they were outnumbered, but if he was actually willing to listen to them, perhaps he wouldn't be unreasonable. Well, uh, I guess my question pertains to that. Why are you here? The bat's face fell. The happy and merry attitude it held went away as fast as the wind, leaving behind an aged moroseness that Kojo had only ever seen twice in his life before, from the wolves who had either been on death's door or had wished themselves to be. A long time ago, I came down here to hide from the world, there were people out there who either wanted to kill me or put me in such debt as to never escape. That's, uh, when I met him or she. Hey, uh, Buried Legion, you decide on how you want to be addressed. He turned towards the air, waiting for the sound that no one heard. However, they didn't even have to wait long to form response. The very earth beneath their feet trembled before a crack formed underneath the Dwem's feet. He leaned down to make a show of listening to something that he could hear before he nodded, and the crack closed like it was never there. All right, fair enough. Uh, anyways, uh, it was a new dungeon. Didn't have any visitors before, you see. Um, I took a chance on him and uh, bonded with him. The rest, as you can say, is um, history. Credence's eyes widened. Not at the fact that this was a new dungeon, no. It was due to the sheer fact that the dwem in front of them had admitted something that only nobles or the truly desperate would ever do. You, uh, bonded? It was that desperate of a venture. Credence's words of exclamation weren't one warranted. Bonding 
is a process entirely different towards the matter of oaths and contracts. Bonds, for nobles at least, are ways to intrinsically tie together two family lines without either member of the bond holding themselves higher in status or importance. This is only possible due to the three actions that bonding causes. The first is that HP, MP, and AP are all shared between the recipients. They must use each other's pulls at all times. However, any actions taken against one of the members of the bond is taken against the other. In other words, if one person were to get more half their body decimated or half the MP drained, so too would the other. This makes sure that the bonded individuals that did not want to be bonded cannot harm the other without serious repercussions towards themselves. The second is that emotions and thoughts are shared with the recipients. Thus, people know what the other is thinking and feeling at any time. This is quite effective for newlyweds. The third is the reason why it's sometimes used as punishment for those outside of nobility. The simple fact that bonding reduces all of your skill levels towards the same amount as your partner, and if that didn't have that particular skill, both of the bonded would simply have to stay at level 1. In other words, for someone to bond with a dungeon willfully would reduce them to the lowest of levels in all skills and abilities. Sure, the Dwem would still have the requisite knowledge that one gets at higher ranks, but without the added benefits that the voice of the gods bestows through skills, things get much harder to do. Indeed, uh, as long as the dungeon lives, I as well. It was that desperate of a situation. The Dwen nodded, albeit not solemnly. There was a hint of a grin upon his face. Like he took relish in showing off how clever he thought himself to be. Well, uh, I am at least somewhat happy that you got here. I can't imagine what would have happened otherwise. We were already plenty damaged from the first floor. I can't imagine what would have happened if those treants were free to do anything. Kojo's words seemed to pull at the Twem's thoughts as he brought his attention downward. Oh, uh, I wouldn't worry about them all too much, he flippantly replied, sipping from his cup once more. So, um, is there a reason you're not just letting us leave or get out of here? The voice of Credence let out. He was somewhat shocked that the words had passed by his lips. He had not meant to speak them out loud. His gaze sharpened. He surmised that this little bat had tricks besides the ones he'd already shown. The bat's gaze seemed to soften a bit as he set down his cup, almost seemingly to have been hurt by the words alone. Uh, there's a couple questions I have. I had hoped to perhaps wait until later to show you the exit. Uh, it's been a while since I've had company, of course. Well, you could ask them. The Dwem seemed startled by the suddenness of the reply, but he pushed on to the main thought occupying his mind. That, that contraption, uh... Did you make it? Credence's eyes glanced back at his Audi, thoughts word by in his mind. Ways to outright deny or even confuse the bat regarding the vehicle's origins, but his shoulders slumped as he realized lying wasn't something that he could avoid doing right now. Yes... The Dwem's eyes sparkled in a faux sunlight, twinkling with something inherent to all tinkerers and inventors, that being curiosity and excitement. However, 
While his eyes sparkled, his mouth was held back. The Dwem debated on whether or not to show his creations to the still worrisome unknown. Nonetheless, his little ring never flashed during their entire conversation, so either they were both telling the truth, or it was faulty. And he would never admit that anything of his was ever faulty. Come with me for a second. Uh, you can take your plate with you, or many of the sweets on the table. The Dwem hopped down from his seat, before gesturing away from the table towards the darkened portion of the forest that Credence's eyes seemed to pass over while he was here. Perhaps it was an enchanted to be unnoticed. Still, even if he was kind of glad that none of the tree ends were set on following them, he still held something of an apprehension. Why? His words fooled the Dwem to a stop, who had assumed that he would simply follow no questions asked. He turned around, pulled his thoughts from their excited disorder into something that could be put into words. Well, um, it's been a while since I talked shop with someone, especially one with the same class as I. You're an archivist? The Dwem's smile widened considerably. Yes. Well, what did you want to talk about? The Dwem shook his head as if to dismiss the concept of talking shop at the table. Before that, uh, I want to take you to my workshop, show you my designs. Buried Legion could... Before he could finish the sentence, the dungeon took action. The ground rumbled for a brief second, but instead of opening crack that had happened before, there was instead something that could be felt in the very air. Not a crack that had formed, but a rift. A slight shimmer in the air to encompass them, and just as fast as it had appeared, it vanished, leaving behind one change in the environment, a change that had happened in the dark portion of the forest. The ground and trees near the edges where they had been before had shifted towards the same metal that they had both seen on the first floor, while a cabin made of the same material appeared within the epicenter of the changed area, shimmering from the light. Oh! Thanks, my friend, the Dwem said to the air before continuing on. Still, the action seemed to click something into place within Credence's mind. Wait, um, if you control the dungeon, you're asking if I ordered it to attack you all at the first floor. The answer is no. It's too young to have itself present within all floors with the same amount of its presence. The Dwem shut down the line of thought from the cobalt. Oh, all right then. Should my friends come with us? Credence gestured towards the feasting Kojo, who had managed to get his muzzle stuck inside a jar of jam, eagerly licking the inside. It took a while before the wolf noticed that the conversation had stopped, looking up from his meal to look at the other two, jar still stuck. He can if he wants, but there is still plenty of food here to partake in if he doesn't wish to. Kojo poured at his nose, managing to remove the jar from his face. Yes, I'll be fine. The dam is delicious. Kojo's smile put Credence at ease. If the wolf didn't sense any hostilities, then it was probably fine. He was, after all, prone to overthinking things sometimes. Plus, he doubted someone would do this much just to split them up. All right, uh, now what did you want? Credence's voice faded away as both he and the Dwem walked away towards the metal cabin. Kojo shook his head as he took in the spread. To him, everything smelled absolutely delicious. However, he couldn't take his mind off that something was wrong. Everything seemed all right, 
but he couldn't shake the feeling that everything was just ever so slightly off. Although, no matter how he felt, he couldn't exactly do anything about it. Besides, there was still this whole spread of food that he could dig into without rest. Still, even after stuffing his face this much, his body was still telling him that there was room in his stomach for more. Which, if Kojo was in a bit more of an inquisitive state at the moment, he would have realized that he could still eat food, despite his disregard of his own bodily processes. If it would have passed through his mind, he would also be questioning where exactly this food was going, as it did not appear to enter the same place that his tongue straw put liquids into. But that is not what he was thinking or pushing himself to think too, as he had made the decision to talk to the tree ant that stood to the side of the table. So, uh, I guess we are alone now. The tree ant didn't make any noticeable movement at first. Eventually, though, it turned its head towards the wolf, its dark antennae creaking in its direction. Then its mandibles opened, exposing a deep, dark pit. From it, a voice spoke. In a way... Oh, you can talk, Kojo exclaimed. Everyone here can. At the tree ant turned his head to the others that inhabited the hive amongst the trees and the two that still guarded the Audi. Although, for the later two, it looked like they were no longer guarding, but creaking with words Kojo could not understand. Is there a reason that you didn't? The tree end seemed to bond with this, as all six of his legs collapsed, letting him lie down. What I wanted to ask wasn't something my partner would approve of. How does it feel? The impromptu question startled the wolf. What? The wood. I, I couldn't manage to get it right some of the time. Kojo at first thought that perhaps the tree ants were like him. Creatures that had transformed into wood. Maybe they were trying to get a sense of what it feels right or wrong with their form. And while Kojo had no advanced experience with his body, he had managed to have it for a couple of weeks so far. It wouldn't do to leave others that might be in his situation utterly clueless. Well, um, I feel fine. Uh, it's been this way since... No. Although that is another question I wanted to ask. I was talking about my wood. Your wood. Kojo was a bit concerned. Maybe they had an illness or a rot that they couldn't treat. Yes. Kojo sighed at the treant's words before acquiescing to his request. Enhancing his senses, what he was met with, however, was something... He did not expect. The wood that the tree ants were made up of were dead. Well, dead in a sense that they had never once lived. In fact, everything around him was dead. The trees, while leafy and green, were much the same. In facsimile that had never once been alive, and something even stranger was something below him. The grass and moss that they were stepping on was dead. The ground that they were growing upon was not ground but the same dead wood that surrounded him, suffused him. He was the only living thing in his vicinity. And it tore at him. It's, um... Uh, I can't feel it at all. What, um... Uh, what is this? Drat, I'd hoped that it was perfect. Tell me, what is missing here? The tree had spoke, almost conversationally. As Kojo started to try and get out the sheer sense of revulsion that he was feeling in his surroundings, 
Well, uh, veins, for one. Something to pump life through. He panicked words stopped as the wrong feeling vanished entirely. The wood, which was once dead, now seemed like it no longer was. Everything seemed to flow with the familiar sight of life, and now he was utterly surrounded by it. It was such a whiplash between revulsion and comfort that his head began to ache from the strain. How did you... I'm the dungeon. Why wouldn't I be able to change myself? The tree ant nodded to itself, and whilst it was not able to change anything within its facial structure, the tone of the buzzing voice led some to conclude that it was extremely pleased with itself. Wait, if you are the dungeon, then are the others? Kojo gestured towards the other tree ants around him their forms working alongside others to expand upon the wooden hive they grew. Even now, Koja could see that the added life that made them perform their tasks with a greater efficiency and more energy to do them. No, I can only put myself into two bodies, less than that, if they're willing. Kojo paused as the next words died in his mouth. You talk about them as if they are, uh, alive. The tree end no. The dungeon, Kojo corrected inside of his mind, looked rather pensive. They are, in a sense, uh, although probably more in the way that your carriage is than you. Kojo's confusion, which just briefly went away, came back almost as quick. What? I I wouldn't worry about it. Just know that they are more akin to the children in mindset than anything of consequence. Kojo tentatively nodded. To him, it made a bit of sense that these were creatures with either the beginnings of thought or barely any to begin with. They were modeled after tiny bugs that were beneath all beasts after all. Still, with his confusion abated, one last question was pushed to the forefront of his mind to either make conversation or to try and see if that kind of person that this dungeon was. So, uh, what is it like being a dungeon? The dungeon was certainly not expecting that, as its heads twitched in surprise. It took a bit for it to answer back, but by the time it did, Kojo had managed to get into the scones. What? Well, it must be different, I assume. Kojo stated as he brought his head back from his plate. The tree end was silent, but not for long as the time as before. He tilted its head towards the floor and brought its head up, twitching slightly. I, uh, I, uh, I could show you, at least, um, I, I think I can. How? At Kojo's question, the dungeon picked up a piece of the ground, the now alive wood, and the wood seemed to melt into a tree and form before coming with it. I simply take you into my being. That doesn't sound good. Good? The dungeon seemed almost confused at the concept of Kojo which did not bode well for future relations with it. Well, um, it sounds like I would be destroyed if I were to do that. The dungeon's head tilted at his words and continued to tilt until the entire head almost became upside down. Kojo assumed it did not cause any pain, considering that they were able to do so. Destroyed? Like death? A loaded question for the wolf who didn't deal with thinking on such things. Although, that did not mean that he could not offer his take on it. Kind of. 
death is total destruction of the body and the mind. Maybe also the spirit. But I don't have much knowledge on that. I am talking about the destruction of the mind. The dungeon seemed to consider upon his words before some antennae reached out and grabbed one of the pastries upon the table and pushed it into its still upside-down mandible mouth. Is... Uh, is the mind important? Well, without the mind, I wouldn't be a person. I wouldn't be able to talk with you or share my thoughts and things. I also wouldn't hold an opinion on anything. And I imagine, besides the basic necessities of life, I wouldn't much care for anything else to do. Hmm... The dungeon considered the idea before falling into a sudden inexplicable silence. At first, Kojo wanted to continue talking. However, his words were taken back once he noticed that the tree end had changed. The life it held was slowly dying. Or perhaps, to word it better, the life it held by itself was being overtaken by the very ground beneath their feet. As he looked down, he finally noticed something rather important. The tree end. Or perhaps the dungeon itself was consuming itself back into the ground, as its legs were being taken in much like it had shown towards Kojo previously. You've um, given me a lot to think about, little tree. The dungeon's words pulled Kojo from his inspections, even though he wanted to question what was happening to it. What came out of his mouth then was the correction that he could not stand. I'm a wolf, the dungeon chuckled a bit, still sinking into the wood beneath it the ground now meeting its torso. With its head slowly tilted back towards the upright manor. Then, you're a tree wolf. It appears that I have to go now. The dungeon had finally looked down, just now noticing its predicament. It was, perhaps, a little worried about what his perception leaving him meant, but it was the most frank conversation that it had received in its existence. It liked Stellan, of course, but even if he was its friend... The weirdness of a dungeon mind meeting another was still strange to it. He could not tell whether or not Stellan was being completely honest with his endeavors or not. It had meant something to the Dwem that it bonded to it, especially now that it knew other people thought of this as something dangerous. However, its musings upon the basis of the bond was cut short, as Kojo's words cut through the disappearing ears. Why... The dungeon considered whether or not telling Kojo was a good idea. My friend wants me to inhabit something he made. It takes a lot of my concentration, so I wouldn't be able to be here at all. Kojo nodded at its words, noticing that almost its entire torso had gone under by now. Seeing that this was an exit for the dungeon rather than something debilitating, he sought to wish it well in whatever it was going to have to do. Oh... Well, it was good talking to you. For Kojo, it truly was. No one had talked to him as much as the dungeon had while he was within this place. He worried that perhaps some of his friends did not feel the same way about him. Sometimes, he almost thought that Credence treated him like a burden rather than a friend. You as well. Uh, uh, before I go, uh, a warning. My bad friend, uh, Stellan, he, he means well, but uh, he, he's... um. Oh, of the ruthless sort, um, try not to get on his bad side. 
Kojo looks at the tree and said as it starts to meld into the wooden ground beneath him, most likely going back into the greater buried legion. He shook his head, trying to focus on the important things. He thinks of something, so that he grabs a biscuit and he dips it into his teacup, leaving it covered in tea, before munching on it. He remarks that it tastes exceedingly better than he thought it would. With food in his mouth, he gazed back over towards the shimmering metallic environment that appeared, with only a single thought that wouldn't leave his mind. If he and Credence were here, why hadn't the rest of his group appeared nearby? Plus, were they even still alive? The Dwem's words were played back in his mind, assuaging some of the concerns. But he couldn't help but whisper a tight-lipped prayer to whoever might hear. I pray that everybody is okay. End of chapter. Chapter 70 The howling wind speared through his sensitive ears, blood leaking down and staining his dark fur. Marwell couldn't think. He couldn't act. All he could do was feel the shattering sensations happening within his skull. Briefly, the thought touched him. A memory. Essentially, this was almost the same as when he acquired Mute. However, this was a much more dangerous prospect, considering that it was happening within his head. A ringing sound began to become louder and louder, and he was afraid that it was the bells that were his connection towards the voice of the gods. And it's dwelling within the Panopticon. He was sure that he would be getting another title that day forever decrying himself another of his senses. However, that was not this day, as his spells happily rung through his mind. For surviving certain death by brain rupturing, you have received plus five endurance, plus two wisdom, plus one luck, the unique skill, sound resistance, and the title of Lucky. Warning. Due to Death's embrace, there is a danger of acquisition of your soul if overexertion is performed. Due to the proximity of this condition, your family members will be notified. The ringing happening within his ears stopped, and his eyes opened up from the brief relief from pain to behold the sight that he was unaccustomed to. He disregarded the notifications that his bells sang out, slightly grimacing at the second one, a grim reminder of his parents' abilities. However, his thoughts were pushed away to focus more on the situation at hand. His paws practically twitching from the rapidity of memories flitting through his skull. For floating far above him was something that he had not seen before, but had heard of in stories, and he was sure that it was something there that could help. He poured over the basics that stuck out in his mind first. These mostly consisted of tales of mad golemancers trying to harness the unharnessable elements of the world, either pertaining to certain affinity or otherwise. Now, most of the stories Marwell had heard from his childhood ended with a happy ending. However, that wasn't the case with any concerning air golems. Golems, from the stories and the books he'd read of his personal library, often having personality traits either imbued into them or brought forth from the element that they were composed of. As can be imagined, most of the personalities that the element of the golem is made from can be pretty easy to understand. Earth is sturdy, slow, and thoughtful, while water and sometimes metal were more vivacious, speedy, and attention drifters. 
However, Air was perhaps one of the only ones that came with an emotion attached in its creation, rather than simple feelings that their element gave forth to them. When they were made, they are inherently angry, and this one seemed to live up to its expectations perfectly. No one ever really knew why they were that reason. But some imagined it was because of their supposed free-spirited nature, rebelling against their very being. One cannot be free from form or actions while also being constrained and given unrelenting orders. Many often just sought to end their own lives however they could. This, of course, did not explain why this specific one was mad at them. But Marwall figured that since they were dungeon creations... They were only doing the job assigned to them and hoping that if they performed well enough, they would be unbidden. However, further thoughts of the nature stopped flowing through his head as he noticed a very alarming fact. While Carmia was distracting the thing's whales, it had seemingly began to develop a resistance to the body slime's efforts. Her daggers, while piercing the small rocks and such that floated about its form, never finding purchase upon the thing's mana center, assuming that it even had one, considering it was a dungeon maid. That left it to try again, however. Marwar barely caught the movement of something rushed past him, the burlesque figure of the orc rushing through the air with the grace of a thrown pebble, his fist impacting the skull that made up its face, and miraculously finding purchase upon its form. The impact dissipated its form for a brief second, and Marwar began to let a small hope grow in his chest. However, a distinct fact made itself known in its head. As long as the golem had at the core material that it was made up of around it, it was essentially indestructible due to its rebuilding efforts. And lo and behold, the air around it recoalesced back into the face, although this time there were definitely exaggerated eyebrows floating above it, staring at the orc. Only seconds after the impact left him falling in the air. Faster than what Marwal's eyes could see, the golem moved its arm, slicing into the orc's skin, gouging out blood, viscera, and perhaps actually managing to lop off a significant portion of the orc's flesh before punching it down into the floating island that they were all upon. Cracks swarmed in the earth, as a rumble shook from the impression left behind. Marwal did not have enough height to see the far away pit's depth. However, what he was able to see left him speechless. Oh, now you've done it! The demure fox screamed out in a voice that Marwal had barely heard the entire time that he'd been traveling with the kin. His head turned away from the still-downed orc upwards, catching sight of something flash through the air. The air warbling crash echoed out as a sword appeared as if from thin air was in the fox's hands, managing to embed it into one of the golem's arms, somehow managing to catch itself on something solid. The blade then seemed to furiously vibrate in place, its metallic gleam seeming to make the very air quake and rip apart at its presence. Another scream echoed out, this time in pain rather than anger. However, the effect was still the same, and it was much worse for the fox who had found himself right in front of the thing's face. Marwal could see his head violently shake as blood began pouring out of his eyes and mouth before he let go. The fox fell to the earth, utterly spent in vitality. 
his sword seemingly to gush into him before managing to bring itself towards his back. Cautioning himself in the fall by changing its form from becoming a spring, it had only barely managed to catch it before the metal seemed to meld together to the ground and the fox's black robe. It was hard to tell. However, what Marwall could see was that Dave, throughout the double dose of pain had received, had managed to bring himself over towards the downed member of their party, limping over in pain, before bringing to heal a healing spell of some sort. As Marwall could see the blood slowly begin to flow back into the wounds of the fallen fox. However, throughout the process, the fox never opened their eyes. Crap! Calm here! Distract it! Dave's voice bellowed out, significantly louder than it had any right to be. Although Marwall chucked it up towards how he had been blindsided by the sound attack upon his ears yet again, the slime throughout all of this had still been trying to keep up the pressure on the golem. However, her blood, while suffusing its form, never found purchase. The poison she brought to bear was throughout the golem as fast as she was able to infuse it. Her frustration that someone was telling her how to do her job irked her immensely, considering that she was not used to fighting the immaterial. What do you think I'm doing, done for brains? Marwell could see Dave racking his head on what to do, before Marwell could see Dave stand up from the ground, his body visibly straining. A spear formed within Dave's hand, like what a proper magic, magic weapon should be. Marwal was a bit surprised that he could do such a thing, given that he had never seen it before now. But it wasn't all too hard to make a magic weapon if one had either the right artifacts or actually busted open their mind sphere. However, this was different. This was tinged with something grey, something dark, and then he threw it, and it stayed that way. He threw it, however the speed at which he did so was at such a slow crawl. It would have never actually hit the thing. Marwall saw Dave pull something within his fists, that same grey tinge touching upon his hands, before it began to float away from them. And there, within his hand, lay a writhing ball of the stuff, faces forming just as fast as they fell back into the sphere. Dave must have been surprised as him when it happened, for he accidentally dropped the ball. However, instead of falling to the ground, it lay suspended upon the air. Marwall started slowly walking towards it, almost fascinated by the bundle of energy that he had formed. However, he was too late for whatever he would think to do after it. The ball shot off faster than it had any right to, before pelting the golem. The air becoming tinged in grey, the rocks within its form slowly but surely cracking and dusting off in waves. However, what Dave managed to pull from himself was not enough. The grey, while doing some amount of damage, was easily excised from the golem. The vagrant manor falling to the floor, turning to dirt and plants that it had landed upon into gravel, then sand, then dust. The implications of this worried for Marvel's attention. However, this was not the time for questions, that it was the time for actions. Marwall, having been frozen for the entire sequence of events, decided for the first time that he had to enter combat. The word itself almost made him sick. He had not actually fought anything for a long time. The latest memory that he could think of was when his family hired him a sword instructor. However, he did not have the talent with the blade whatsoever. Much like his sister... He found his talents in the more metaphysical, albeit 
it was something he did not exactly delve too into deep. As he had displayed several times previously, he was more into body modification of things than anything physical. Besides, of course, the basic earth molding. With that earth molding, Marwal looked deep into himself as he walked towards the golem, forcing the earth to form under the hole, bringing back up the orc for Dave to work upon. He was hesitant to do this, considering the floating island might not exactly be stable if he were to do so. However, judging by how nothing immediate happened when he tuned his senses into the island, he figured that it was safe to pull from it. However, once he did, the whole island started to stutter slightly. He had to take care of this fast. He pushed himself into the island, grasping the earth to stay together, only to find something rather distressing. The earth wasn't being held up by any magical materials in the crust. Below the island, there was tearing winds that had enough strength to hold up the entirety of the island. Without the island's stability, the winds would surely tear apart the island in an outward corona circling past the storm for an indefinite future. He gave up on it, incentivized to deal with the fight quickly. He brought his eyes upwards to stare at the one-sided battle. Kamiya had given her all in this attack, trying to suffuse herself into the golem, no longer just whipping out blood poisons, but embodying them into her foe's body. Marwal, considering the current action that she was taking and compared it towards her fight with Dave earlier. Quickly, though, he shook his head to push that thought aside. It was not the time. He had to do something. However, his lightning could never leave his body. He had never figured out how to actively eject it as easy as Earth was. With how molding the Earth was, if he were to try and pull anything from the ground, he'd only make the island more unstable. Then, he remembered something a while ago. His master, his friend and teacher, once told him about how those who were in tune with the elements that they were embodied, they could simply conjure forth their aspects. And after that brief lecture, the cobalt had then lifted its claws towards the skies and brought forth the heaven's wrath. Its arcs streaking across his scales in an almost living armor of the immaterial. It was a very flashy thing that had happened in his childhood, and it just about gave him the idea for the situation that had found himself in. He always looked into himself whenever he tried to influence the elements. His body naturally held proclivity towards Earth, of course, but that did not mean that he had mastery over it. Even with his reforged veins, this natural terrakinesis was the best that he could do. However, the energy that he used to do so ultimately came from him. Even if his veins allowed the energy to go through faster, it wouldn't be enough for what he had to do. However, that didn't mean that that was the only source that he could pull upon. He brought his inner gaze away from the core of his body upwards towards his mind sphere, the storage medium of smells, memories, and personality. For too long had he ignored a potential source of power. Sure, until now he hadn't necessarily needed to use it, but if he had managed to figure this out sooner, the visiting monk would have definitely taken him despite his flaws. So, with a growing sense of trepidation, he grabbed his veins and pulled. He could feel his body tearing apart as he focused his intents upon the singular action that he wanted to do. No, needed to do. 
His will was brought to bear, coining his veins, growing them past their natural formations, coining them around his mind before having them strike deep to drink from something that he had not used efficiently. At first, he did not receive any notifications from his bells, and the pain was so unbearable that he almost thought that he had committed suicide by stupidity. Congratulations! You have successfully reforged your veins to pull from your manor. Be warned, there is a potential mind break that could happen if too much energy is pulled. You are among the lucky few who have discovered the following subdivisions of Earth, Form, Stability, and Foundation. Use them well. You have received 5 Wisdom, 5 Intelligence, 10 Endurance, and the option for interchangeable energy flow between mana and action. However, with that tinkle of bells signifying a great achievement, Marwal's idea became realized. His veins had not cracked apart in his mind, and instead cradled the shell while drinking from it, much like the tree draws from the soil that lives upon. He willed it forth, and earth formed out of every air, pulled from himself before launching towards the golem's head. The earth, of course, passed clean through the golem, but he got what he wanted. When its attention was swayed from saving off the poison, Carmia there was trying to work through its system. Marwal pushed below himself, compressing earth form beneath his feet before he simply let it go. He launched through the air, the shrieking of the wind against his tiny form almost indistinguishable from the golem's hastened attacks. Marwal had thought up the idea on the fly, so when he was within a hand's reach, he briefly wondered if he had made a fatal mistake in his thought process. However, his idea came to fruition when the outer portion of the air touched his fingers, turning from air to dust, and from dust to sand, and from sand to earth. And the air golem was suffused with earth. Carmia, having seen what was occurring, did not want to be trapped within the earthen shell, so she pushed herself out of the golem, falling through the air before landing with a splat sound on the ground, finding herself landing next to Dave as he had finished putting his energy into healing the orc, its broken bones having been remade and a lump of material having fallen from his body. What in the name of the gods is he doing? Kamiya's question pulled Dave's attention away from his task. However, this was something that Marwell could not only bear to hear. With how invested he was into the current course of action. How am I supposed to know? I'm busy just trying to keep these two alive. That, however, was something that Marwell was able to hear. He turned his attention away from the rapidly forming golem, looking to make sure that they were safe, before bringing his emotions down into the golem, pouring out the sky as both he and it fell to the floor. The golem tried to perform the same scream once again, probably in a vain hope to kill its assailant. However, the shell was slowly becoming thicker and thicker, blocking off the air inside from the out, and then the shell reached its core. At that, it became more and more frantic when it hit the ground, Marwar riding atop it. The air around it formed blades, intent on cutting itself out from its warm, hitting Marwar in the process. It kept chipping itself apart, carving more and more of the earthen shell away from its body. However, with one final slash, it managed to free its head from the shell. It screamed out in anger, pain, frustration, and deep anxiety. However, 
He was cut short as another grey ball had formed it round Dave's hand before it leapt, hitting the body that the shell had become. The grey became utterly infused into it, degrading everything within it, including its core. Its scream started to become higher and higher, field-pitched and desperate. It clawed and tore and bit itself in vain, for it only took a few seconds for the energy to reach its being, and the core cracked. With one final screech cut short, the shell fell in on itself, forming a depression upon the ground. Marwell leaned over and heaved, almost becoming sick from the effort that he'd exuded. Dave walked over and put a hand on his back. That was amazing. Didn't even know you could do that. Marwell silently chuckled at his words before almost throwing up once again. Dave simply pet his back as they both sat down and rested and to recuperate. The echoes of the air golem still bouncing off the various islands around them. Marwell could see that Dave wanted to say something, although his mouth simply closed on its own accord, letting the both of them enjoy the silence. Well, uh, thank the gods that happened. I couldn't even do anything to it. Marwell looked up from the ground, finding that the slime had reformed itself back into shape, taking the form of a particularly well-endowed bast, its brown fur fluffing up quite nicely around its ears and neck. Marwell quickly shook his head at that, he knew enough to not be charmed by her mannerisms. However, he would not lie and say that he wasn't affected. Don't say that, Kamiya. You managed to distract it long enough for Marwal to pull that thing out of his ass. Kamiya chuckled a bit at the crass language before sitting on the floor besides them. You think they'll be okay? Yes, despite the prosthetics the orc had, I managed to heal most of their wounds. They should be able to... Dave trailed off, going quiet. Carmia was confused as to why until she saw the bast reacting in the much the same way. It only took a couple seconds for her to change her senses to catch up. The screams' echo had come back. However, the screams were different in pitch than before, and they did not nearly hurt as much as they should have. This important detail, however, was only caught by Marwell and Dave. The screams were not simply echoes of the dying golem in front of them, but the something else besides the roaring tempest that they had yet to reach in the center of the flying island chain. There were many, and they were growing louder. Marwal looked past the few trees that were there on the island, out towards the vast open expanse behind them. More were coming. End of chapter the algorithm reckons you should be watching this video next, and I recommend that you should be always watching my video. So, click, click, click. With energy! And yes, clicking that does help the channel. Thank you very much. I just want to give a quick thanks to the tier 5 patrons and channel members. Alithia, Barky, Fudic Yol, Cam Maxwell, Casper Arnholtz, White Band 420, Lord Asrakal, Arcalian, and Oak